0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen On, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February the 14th, 2022, Valentine's Day. This is my final broadcast of the day, a couple of hours ago, I did a show about synthetic biology and the our ability using the latest technology to rewrite human life i think today we're going from the sublime if that's the right word to the ridiculous today i want to talk um about the super bowl not about uh synthetic biology and not about chicken wings or certainly about chicken wings as a brand rather than something that we can write and rewrite Um, The Super Bowl, of course, and and I just got getting all these emails all day about um, the commercials at the Super Bowl. Uh, It is the one moment, of course, yesterday during the Super Bowl where companies can rebrand themselves, can write or rewrite their brands, can make or indeed even break their companies. Um, RAP took over the Super Bowl half time um which is a form of i guess of advertising too uh, but so many different pieces including in serious supposedly su- serious newspapers like the Washington Post about the 10 or the 5 best commercial uh in the Super Bowl uh whether it was Chevrolet or Rocket Mortgage that was my wife's favorite or Toyota or Lay's, uh, it's the usual suspects, of course, or Amazon. Um, All the the debate is about the best and worst commercials, which, of course, raises a more important question of what makes a good or bad commercial. Uh, Apparently, Volkswagen things had a real moment in the Super Bowl ads. I don't know what a real thing is, and is that the goal of advertising? Uh, Coinbase's bouncing QR code was so popular it crashed the app. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. What I uh, and of course the lists go on and on. The test bet the 10 best Super Bowl ads of 2022 was in Ad Week, which you'd expect. What I thought we would do for some relief on all this, or perhaps some insight, is talk to a real guy who knows about advertising. Um, My guest today is Jeff Rosenblum, he's the author of Exponential, Transform Your Brand by Empowering Instead of Interrupting, and he's joining me from New England. Jeff, did you watch the Super Bowl? I mean, the ad rather than the football?
1: I did. I watched the Super Bowl and I watched some of the ads and, uh, sorry to burst the bubble, but most of them were terrible, disappointing, and a complete and total waste of time, money, and energy.
0: But Jeff, how is that possible? Uh, guys like you spend, well, guys like you are paid hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to produce these ads for the most important three or four hours um, uh, in, in, in of the year for for brands. How can you get a Super Bowl ad so wrong?
1: Yeah, so for the most part, they're all wrong before they even start running. So, So let me explain. I am an advertising guy. But I'm an advertising guy that's calling for a complete and total revolution in the world of advertising, where we're relying less and less on interruptions and goofy, silly, superficial messages and more on meaningful content. So let me explain what I've been researching for a few decades now, which is exactly what you've seen and and all of your viewers have seen, which is this. There's an advertising orgy going on during the Super Bowl. There's nothing like it in the entire world of advertising. Every time that an ad ever comes on, all we want to do is run away, except during the Super Bowl where we run to the TV, we grab our beer, we grab our chicken wings, we actually watch the ads, and then the next day we talk about the ads and we debate which are the best ads. And all of that obviously seems extraordinarily appealing if you're a brand that's advertising. But here's the problem. You saw it yesterday, I saw it yesterday, Millions of people saw it yesterday, which is you watch the first set of ads, and then you kind of watch the second set of ads, and then you a little bit watch the third set of ads because eventually you're having chicken wings, you're drinking beer, you're having soda, maybe you're actually a football fan and you're watching the football game, you're talking to your friends. So you're highly, highly distracted, even though you're paying more attention than usual. Put on top of that, the fact that now everyone's trying to be so damn creative with their 30-second or 60-second spot that it just becomes a cacophony. Like, if you go up and down on a newspaper right now, scroll up and down on USA Today, and you look at all of the brands that are advertising, I think most people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I kind of remember that. But we barely remember the brands. We barely remember the message. We just kind of remember the creativity. So I think what's happening in the advertising world is Everyone's just talking to themselves. We're trying to win awards. We're and trying that's to be a polite way of,
0: of putting it, Jeff. Um, your, your, your subtitle of your book is Transform Your Brand by Empowering Instead of Interrupting. I want to get to the empowering as opposed to the interrupting. I'll try not to interrupt you in this conversation. But is that the goal of advertising, Jeff, to transform your brand Well, companies like Chevrolet and Rocket Mortgage and Toyota and Lays and Amazon, were they trying to transform their brand or underline their brand? Were they in the business of interrupting rather than empowering?
1: Well, advertising has two goals, which is one, get you to love a brand and two, get you to buy a product. That's basically it. The problem is we're just using the same techniques that, that started almost 100 years ago right? Digital came along and changed everything. and We just kept interrupting. So we love our TV ads, but now with the digital revolution, our TV ads turned to pre-rolls and our print ads turned to banner ads and our junk mail turned to spam. We're just hopelessly addicted to interruptions. And Super Bowl is just one of a bazillion examples. And the real point is, if our goal is to get people to love brands and buy products, well, let's focus in on that, not focus in on this specific canvas. That we have, which is a 30-second interruption in a superficial message. But
0: but but, but um, Jeff, we live in what many people call the attention economy. Our, our, our biggest scarcity is our time. Um, don't brands and companies, if they're going to try and get people's attention, don't they have to interrupt? It's unavoidable. It may not be the best way of doing it, but how else can they do it?
1: Well, yes, interruptions do work to a certain extent and as an advertising guy i still do it all the time for our clients the issue is that we're asking these interruptions to do too much and so many brands exclusively focus in on interruptions because they've mastered the art of it creatively technically but what we really want to do is let's create content that people actually want content that they go out of their way to participate in and then share it with others. And if we can create content that's extraordinarily valuable and people seek it out, then you're breaking right through that attention economy that you're talking about. You're, Jeff,
0: um, you sorry out. to interrupt. And I keep on, I'm keep i going to keep on making that joke in this conversation since I'm not supposed to interrupt. But that's the goal of a show like this. We're creating content, but we're not selling anything. Um, is it possible to transform brands to build commercial value with content that empowers rather than interrupts that's that's real content that's not advertising
1: correct right and that's and that's what drives great brands if you look at the brands that that grow exponentially the ones that dominate the competition they're creating empowering content it might be something like a podcast it might be something like a tv show It might be some interactive content that sits on an app or through your browser. They're not completely removing themselves from interruptions, but they're first and foremost investing in content that improves people's lives in some
0: functional way. But that's not advertising. I mean, I I do this show because I like creating content. I'm paid for the production of of this conversation, but I'm not advertising i'm creating content those are two different things i might advertise the show i might put banner ads up on um on the web but those are two different things i don't see this I, i don't see how you can combine the creation of content with advertising well that's that's because that thinking is stuck in the
1: past right advertising doesn't have to be defined as a 30 second interruption it doesn't have to be defined as a 300 pixel banner ad or an eight and a half by 11 print ad, right? We just continue to put advertising into a very small box. And if when we start thinking of advertising as a more expanded, more immersive, more empowering form of creative, then all of a sudden we break our addiction to a vehicle that really doesn't work that well when focused in on exclusively. And we start really making these breakthrough connections in that relationship that brands have with consumers.
0: Well, Jeff, you you've done a. Uh, you're the co-founder and one of the managing partners at Questus, which is an advertising a digital advertising agency. You've worked with many of the world's most influential bl- brands, including American Express, Apple, Capital One, Disney, ESPN, the NFL, blah blah blah. What do you do with customers who come to you and and say, uh, we want to? we want to get our brand in people's face do you say to them that's the wrong way of thinking
1: well no what we focus in on is what's your business goal what's the what's the way you're going to measure it and then we try to figure out the most effective way to get there right and what other companies tend to do is they go straight to okay what's the provocative message? What's the superficial message? What's the clever message? And what's the way that we can interrupt people with ad targeting to get there? And what we want to do is say, okay, well, if there's a specific business goal, we want to create brand evangelists, we want to build awareness, we want to build differentiation, we want to sell more products, we want to acquire new customers, we're going to focus in on that and say, what's the best vehicle for it? Oftentimes, there is to your point, an interruptive technique that goes in there. It might be TV, it might be social, it might be digital, it might be print, it's usually a combination thereof. But when you're only using those techniques, you're missing the opportunity to
0: tell a deeper and more meaningful story. I'm speaking with Jeff Rosenblum, the author of Exponential, Transform Your Brand by Empowering Instead of Interrupting. Uh, it's uh, it, it was one of uh, Jan last month's uh, business bestsellers. It jumped onto the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller page number four uh, on the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller list. So that's pretty impressive. We're going to take a break now, Jeff. Uh, And afterwards, I know you've got five points of building brands, five points perhaps that are key to exponential. So we're, we're going to look at those in a little bit more care. We're going to take a break, Jeff. A real advertising break. And afterwards, perhaps you can also tell me what I did wrong with this 60 second advertising break. So hold tight, everyone will be back in 60 seconds with Jeff Rosenblum, uh, a big advertising authority and the author of Exponential. Hi, everyone, Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keen On show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keen On show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other you can watch these shows live, uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is, and on their LitHub Live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube. Page. So, whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now, back to Keenan. We are back with Jeff Rosenbloom, the author of Exponential. Jeff, how did I do with that sixty-second? I bet it was terrible, wasn't it? Mm,
1: solid work. I liked it. It's functional, right? You you told the information that people needed, and I. I think there's something to be said for that. I think the ad world tries so hard to be so clever and so fun and that's fine. But sometimes it's the tail wagging the dog and and I happen to enjoy a good functional message. Tell me what makes a product different or better. Tell me how I can
0: buy it and, and you'll move me down that sales funnel. Oh my God. I don't even need to go to an agency. I got that. I did that for free, Jeff.
1: There you go. You don't need agencies. We're done.
0: <laughs> well, then you better need to sell books. You need to sell more of your books. You have... Five interesting lessons, uh, I think, in the book. The first, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is focusing on empowerment instead of interruptions. I have to admit I'm a little skeptical of this empowerment word. We hear it all the time. What do you mean by it? And why is empowerment more important than interruptions when it comes to a good ad?
1: Yeah, it's great. I like that. Invite a guy onto your show and then second guess his thesis statement. That's fun. Um, What? there is there is some validity to the fact that the, the term empowerment has been sort of overused and abused by the yoga crowd to a certain degree. And I, and I think it's important that we take it back because in a lot of ways, it is the most powerful tool in the business world. And if you look at the, the companies that have focused this, there's a company that's focused in studying this. And uh, they've got a great piece of research called Firms of Endearment. And they found that Companies that focus in on empowerment, they outperform the competition. Uh, I think it's about eight to one over a 15-year period, eight to one. There's nothing you can do with great creativity, great technology, great ad targeting without having a great strategic foundation like empowerment that's going to give you that kind of competitive advantage. Now, to answer your question, what does it mean? It's about giving people the tools that improve their lives one small step at a time. Everybody. Everybody wakes up in the morning wanting one thing. They want to be better than they were the day before. So empowerment, it's at the heart of the human experience. When you empower, you're drafting off of literally thousands of years of evolution. So how do we create tools that actually improve people's lives so people go out of their way to participate in it rather than trying to
0: avoid it? I mean, how do you do that in all seriousness with a product like Lay's, which We all love potato chips, but they're bad for you. They're not in any way empowering. I mean, some products are much more difficult than others, aren't they? That's a great point. So if
1: you're selling Lay's potato chips, if you're selling beer or soda or gum or any other impulse buy, go for it, man. Be clever, be creative, go interrupt people, go, go bring in Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd. That's absolutely fine. I focus a lot more on more complicated purchases. And I think the great example out there because the research is published, is cars. When people go to buy a new car, they literally spend 13 hours in the sales funnel from the moment they decide they want to buy a car to the moment they purchase it. 13 hours over months and months. So think about your typical ad using a reach and frequency model. You see it on the Super Bowl. You see yeah. it three other times. had a
0: popular ad as, the, um, uh, as Toyota did as well.
1: Yeah, so great. So you got a great ad and you saw it 10 times and which I think we can all agree would be wildly annoying, but let's just say it's effective. Well, there's still 12 hours and 55 minutes left in that journey and you're asking someone to stroke a check that can be $50,000 or more. So what kind of information can you provide to them throughout that 12 hour and 55 minute journey that's actually meaningful? How do you tell people about the features and the functionality and what makes that car different and better than the competition?
0: i uh i joked earlier about uh vw things having a real moment is empowerment about having real moments or getting consumers to have quote-unquote real moments with automobiles
1: yeah it certainly can be right i don't think a 30 second spot is particularly a real moment it's a superficial moment nine times out of ten sometimes it's great like you know here's to the crazy ones is a pretty meaningful ad for me and for all a lot of people, some ads work, but the vast majority don't. But yeah, if you think of what Patagonia does to defend the environment, if you think about what Fender does to to teach people how to play guitar, if you think about what Warby Parker does to help people buy glasses uh, effectively and easily, if you think about what Farmer's Dog does to help people feed their dogs through a super user-friendly subscription model, those are all the new definition of advertising. They all sit on the strategic pillar of empowerment.
0: What about the connection between the product itself and its message? I, I You know, you, we've been talking about uh, car ads. Uh, there was a list the uh, the best and worst car commercials of the twenty twenty two Super Bowl. I don't think Tesla come up. Um Just do companies with highly innovative brands like Tesla? Do they even need to advertise?
1: Well, Tesla far and away is the most successful car company out there. If you look at their their but that's not because of that advertising, is it? Oh, Jeff? 100%. And here's why they don't advertise, right? You literally will not see a Tesla ad. And they, for the most part, they don't really have retail and distribution, right? So they're taking those dollars and putting into places that become just a, a lot more meaningful, right? So that I think is the most fascinating example of them all. If you look at the Super Bowl, those spots, they're spending, I don't know, three, five, 10 million, depending upon how much they. They spend on creative and they're they're desperately trying to get their message out there well literally i don't know 90 seconds later you're going to see another car ad in the midst of drinking your fourth or fifth beer or third or fourth soda or whatever the case may be and you barely remember any of it and tesla was like dude we're not going to participate in any of this not only are we not running super bowl ads we're not going to run any traditional ads and it's not like they don't have new forms of marketing to build awareness and build excitement They're just not going to go into a place
0: that's superficial and
1: crowded. And is that
0: because Elon Musk is a genius or because the product itself is a genius?
1: Oh, I think it's because the leadership that they have across the board. I mean, he's a genius. I think the fact that he doesn't advertise doesn't necessarily make him a genius. I think it just means somebody over there is thinking with a fresh eye and saying, look, why are we going to use a technique that was perfected? I don't know. 50, 60 years ago and apply it to a a brand new product, right? Why don't we think completely differently?
0: Thinking differently is, of course, an Apple thing. Apple cornered the market. They built their brand around that idea. You've done some work for Apple. Was Steve Jobs the master of masters when it came to messaging?
1: Uh, I would say yes. I would say he was the master of masters um but think about this like we th- that's a great example like do they have interruptions yeah you know one thousand songs in your pocket think different their famous 1984
0: campaign those were all highly
1: effective which campaign. was the ultimate
0: commercial i mean for 60 even that was worth it for that was worth interrupting you wasn't it uh jeff that that particular 1984 and uh, well, that's that's funny
1: that you bring it up. You know what happened to their market share and their stock price and their impact on middle America after that campaign? Nothing, right? Literally, it was it was a great ego play. He helped rally the team. Everybody's excited. In the advertising world, he loves to tell ourselves how great it was. But it didn't really do that much except to satisfy egos. But a little while later, they did run a campaign for the iPod, which was a lot less cool and a lot less sexy. But everyone was trying to figure out, what is, the, what is an MP3 player? Well, it turned out to be one of the most important products in the world because the MP3 player morphed into the smartphone, and that that's what created the complete revolution in almost every industry. But that ad campaign was very simple. 1,000 songs in your pocket. That was it. And a picture of the product. No, no crazy theatrics, no Orwellian woman taking a hammer and crashing it through a screen. Just 1,000 songs in your pocket. Unlike the 1984 campaign, if you put $10,000 into Apple stock at that moment, you'd be a millionaire right now. That's how important everything that he did was at that moment. Now, clearly you'd be not more than a millionaire. millionaire. You'd probably right be a billionaire.
0: What's that? You'd probably, well, you'd certainly be a multimillionaire. If you put $10,000 into Apple stock, when that ad came out, God knows how much you'd be worth now. Totally. Uh, your, your second, uh. And, and I like the way you put it your 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 second um, lesson is that the human brain is a cognitive spam filter I'm not entirely sure what it means but it sounds good and you also wrote a piece about in, in fast company about um how Nike turned its brand into a thirty five billion dollar cognitive shortcut cognitive jeff why what's Why is this one of your favorite words? Why is it a word to understand?
1: Yeah, well, the human brain is exposed to 11 million bits of information every second, right? So if you you pause now and you just listen, there's like cars driving by in the background. You can hear the air conditioning or the heating, the squeaking of your chair. The brain filters all of that out. It can't process 11 million bits of information every second. We would be completely incapacitated. It only... Consciously processes 50, just 50 bits out of 11 million. So the brain is really built to say, look, I'm going to take all of the information that we're exposed to, I'm going to filter it out. It's a cognitive spam filter. So, what happens during the Super Bowl or what happens during every day? We're exposed to 5,000 branded messages every day. It's about one every 2.7 seconds. It's more than double the previous generation. All of it's getting filtered out. So the ad industry is like, all right, well, how do I get more disruptive? How do I get more bold? Well, we're just making more and more noise. And what we need to do is make less noise and more signals to break through that spam filter.
0: And uh, what did Nike do? Give them as a, as a, as a, um, a case example of, of, of this cognitive shortcut. How did they get to people?
1: Well... Every brand is a cognitive spam filter, right? Or or is is a cognitive shortcut. It breaks through it. The question is, what is the message that we're saying when someone sees the Nike swoosh, the Apple logo, the Amazon smile, right? Those logos are worth billions and billions of dollars. Apple and Amazon, for example, I think they're worth around $600 billion, according to Kantar. That's like literally more than like the GDP of Greece and, and Russia. Or I think if you add the top three, it's bigger than Russia, one of the world's great superpowers. So the issue for Nike is they got exposed for some bad behavior in their supply chain. They didn't even own the companies. They just outsourced it. I do believe it was in Vietnam. And people all of a sudden were like, dude, wait a second, this swoosh, what does it represent? It really scared them. Their stock plummeted, their sales plummeted. But what I love about the story is that they turned it around and said, wait a second, we see the problems in our supply chain. And let's invest in fixing our supply chain. Let's take all the great things that we're doing and let's share it with the world and let's motivate other companies, Timberland, Reebok, et cetera, to actually fix their supply chains. So as crazy as it sounds to you, I believe when companies focus not just on their purpose, but actually investing in their purpose, things like having a better supply chain and then being able to tell a real story about it that's the new definition of advertising. And that's why people turn out to love brands. And that's why people turn out to buy products and recommend brands and recommend products. And that's why I think we need to move beyond the 30 second spot and think about immersive content and think about brand behavior.
0: Uh, and this your, your, your third point really touches on this, you've already discussed leveraging the the entire purchase journey. Does that mean that you've got to reach more consumers and more of their lives if you're going to leverage the entire purchase journey?
1: Uh, That's a great question. It's really not about reaching more consumers. In in some ways, it may be about reaching less of them, but doing it more meaningfully, right? So the Super Bowl, I don't know how many people they're reaching. Let's just say it's 30 million, but 90% of them for a lot of these are not part of the target audience. They're, They're kids, they're drunk, they can't afford it. They're just not interested in the category. It's about being a lot more targeted and saying, look, let's find less people in our target audience. But once we find them, let's create a lot more meaningful content. So we're not just serving the top of the sales funnel, but let's serve the entire sales funnel.
0: What do you think of this term that a lot of critics use, surveillance capitalism, when it comes to online advertising, the way in which we have supposedly our ads served up for us because of our our browsing history, our taste, our, our networks on, on platforms like Facebook and, and, and um, Google. Is this chilling, Jeff, or is this the fix or both? It's a double edged sword. I think we can all agree when it's done correctly,
1: it's valuable. We, we would all love to be surrounded by more information and more content that's relevant to our own personal interests. But when brands push it too far, or media properties push it too far, then yeah, it's chilling, it's disgusting, it's weird, it's awkward, and it's counterproductive. So I think that's gonna be the new battleground. We already see Apple doing it. Like at one point they really stood as a company for creativity, but increasingly you see that they stand more and more for privacy.
0: Well, that's because it helps because their business model works with that. They can build their brand around privacy because they sell products rather than advertising. I'm curious, as. Your, your choice of title uh, for your book, um, as a British technology writer, Azim Az- Azhar, he's been on the show last year, and he wrote about digital technology and the exponential gap. What do you mean uh, in, in titling your book Exponential? What does the word mean and why is it so key to your way of thinking about the world?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a mathematical phenomenon, and it really means two things, which is, one, to grow exponentially ultimately means that you're going to wind up dominating the competition because you are growing so rapidly. You're growing much more dynamically than a linear yeah, curve. It's the
0: rocket, the rocket meca- metaphor, which is on the, the cover of the book.
1: Sure, yes, to a certain degree, right? But if you really break down what an exponential curve is and you see this image on the cover of the other gentleman's book, Picture the right side of a U, right? The right side of U, it looks a little flat down at the bottom, and then it starts curving, and then it starts growing almost vertically. So there's two things that you see in an exponential curve, which is one, you do get that dramatic growth, but two, it also requires a little bit of patience. You're probably going to sell more products in the short term by running a bunch of interruptive techniques, TV, print, social media, YouTube, pop-ups, pre-rolls, all that annoying stuff. And to a certain degree, yes, it works. And yes, we still do it. But if we can focus in on empowerment, creating really meaningful content, you're not going to get the immediate results. But once all of those inputs start to take hold, then you're
0: starting to get the dramatic growth where you do ultimately dominate the competition. Patience matters then, uh, according to Jeff Rosenblum. And this very much fits in with his fourth rule, culture rules. And that requires us to be patient, doesn't it? Um, Jeff, because you can't cheat culture. There are no shortcuts in culture, are there?
1: There are no shortcuts. So I'll tell you what there is in culture. There's a lot of confusion in culture. Like People right now think for some reason that culture means that everything needs to be fun, right? And to a certain degree, if you've got a business and you make it fun, that's awesome. But I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of window dressing, right? Yes, we want fun, but what's the foundation? And the foundation of great culture is how do we put people in position to do their best work as individuals and collectively? And the reason it's so important in advertising is before the digital revolution, all you really needed was a great ad campaign to build a great brand. So, what does that require? A great copywriter, some folks who are pretty good at shooting videos, some folks who are pretty good at editing video. You can literally build a great campaign with a very small handful of people, maybe even one or two people. But now, going back to the Apple example or the Tesla examples, think about how complicated it is. Think about Apple retail stores. Think about Tesla's distribution. Think about all the information that goes into the genius bar, all the content that people are are consuming. Right. That requires technology, data, design, video, project management, finance machine learning, increasingly artificial intelligence, things are getting extraordinarily complicated. So we need culture to make sure that we're increasing our overall collective intelligence. We're breaking down the barriers and getting people to work together as effectively as possible.
0: Yeah, and this idea of culture rules and culture working is you're absolutely right. I just bought a Tesla and the experience of buying a Tesla or going to an Apple store versus a traditional car retailer um, or a traditional electronics warehouse is so profoundly different. And I guess that comes back to leveraging leveraging the entire purchase journey. But you've got to make the people representing the brand happy, don't you? And whatever one might think about Tesla and Apple, they're not ideal companies, but the people working for them seem happy.
1: Yeah, every everybody is a publisher at this point, right? Everybody's going to share the information, right? And, and that information from from friends and strangers it can be up to 12 times as trusted as, as a formal ad. So yes, these people are going to publish on Facebook and LinkedIn about their own feelings. But more importantly, you know, you're going to attract A players with the right culture. And if you make them happy, you're going to attract more A players. And at this point in time, every company has unprecedented access to data and technology and creativity. Culture is the ultimate competitive advantage and creativity is is the mechanism that we use to deliver it. So if we can make people happy, they can attract more and more A
0: players and they can draft off of all that
1: technology and data that's out there.
0: Right. So you know when you think of Chevrolet or Toyota or VW they all spent millions at the Super Bowl perhaps what you're saying is rather than putting those millions into a, a 30 or 60 second slot, they should invest it in the people representing them in their warehouses, in their showrooms, uh, which is a, a much smarter investment.
1: And then giving them the tools to let that culture manifest itself in creative and meaningful ways, right? You mentioned you, you own a Tesla, you walk into the Tesla retail store, there's so much interaction with content and tools and the, in the video screens that are on the wall. So in, in my purview, those are just modern forms of advertising. They get you to love the brand. They get you more interested in buying the product. So when we start expanding the definition of advertising to be anything that people interact with, that impacts their perceptions of a brand or product. Now all of a sudden the creative canvas is virtually unlimited and you start breaking that addiction. Which is, going back to your earlier point, exactly what Elon Musk did. He's just not spitting tens of millions
0: of dollars into TV advertising. Jeff, people watching this, uh, they are going to be some heads of brands, some chief marketing officers are going to really hate what you're saying. Whereas the CEOs are going to be watching this and thinking, wow, Jeff's absolutely right. Maybe I should shut down my marketing department. Is the problem with all this marketing departments their territoriality and their lack of imagination
1: you know we the first time we really got into this we created a documentary called the naked brand like eight years ago and we hit this thesis statement that advertising we're just asking you to do too much and great brands they embrace transparency and they empower people and at the end of the Presentation when I launched it in the industry. I didn't know how people were going to react. I was a little scared. I put down the clicker, the entire audience stood up and gave me a standing ovation because I think the advertising industry is filled with some of the most creative and intelligent people in the world. And they're desperate for an expanded creative canvas. They're
0: they're also desperate. And I know my son is in the advertising business they're desperate for a meaningful experience. And a lot of them are very frustrated with the lack of meaning in the industry.
1: That's exactly right. And there, it happens internally and externally. Internally, I think people wanna do more meaningful work and externally, I think customers wanna see, have more meaningful experiences.
0: Finally, Jeff, uh, you're beginning to convince me and I'm a hard person to convince, prepare for success. What does that mean? That's your fifth and final lesson in exponential.
1: Sure, that goes back to the the mathematical uh, uh, phenomenon of exponential curves in the right side of of a U that we talked about earlier. And it basically means that we can get lulled to sleep in the early parts of an exponential curve, right? You run a bunch of banner ads, you're instantly gonna know exactly what your results are. But when you invest in more immersive and meaningful experiences, you don't get the same type of immediate results, right? You impact people at a meaningful level. Next thing you know, they're at a bar or restaurant around the dinner table, they're up on social media, they're leaving ratings and reviews. One person is talking to 10 people. Those 10 people are talking to another 10 people. It grows exponentially, but not immediately. So the point of preparing for success is how all of your processes in place have all of your culture in place. Because when that exponential curve does kick in, it starts going vertically, it happens dramatically. And if you don't have all of your processes built for scale,
0: you can get crushed. That's what Exponential is all about. It's Jeff Rosenblum's new book. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Exponential, Transform Your Brand by Empowering Instead of Interrupting. It's great that, Jeff, you're using the old publishing industry as a way of building your brand and your ideas. Are there are other books in addition to Exponential that you think People might read in february 2022
1: oh wow that's a fun question there's so many great books out there i'll tell you the one uh that i love the content and the title uh it's called the score takes care of itself it was written i don't even know how to pronounce this word so forgive me uh posthumously it was written from his notes after he passed away uh, Bill Walsh. It wasn't written reference. posthumously, it was published posthumously. Published posthumously, thank you very much, right? So <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, By Bill Walsh, the guy who completely revolutionized the game of football. Ironic timing, today being the day after the Super Bowl. Right. he uh, he, uh, he coached both Stanford and the 49ers. Yes, and and really focused in on culture, first and foremost, and, and went through his own exponential curve. You know, he almost got fired after a couple of years because he was focused on little things like how does the secretary answer the phone when everyone was waiting for the rah-rah speech that said we're going to win the Super Bowl. But eventually all those inputs take took hold, and now he's known as one of the great coaches in world history and one of the great business leaders. So
0: the score takes care of itself. It's not always in print, but it's a world-class read. And I'm guessing, Jeff, the ultimate message that you're putting forward, which is one we actually dealt with yesterday in a very different context, is that we really need to value the long-term over the short-term. The biggest problem with the brand-building advertising industry is this obsession with the short-term and deliverables. And if we can think in the long-term, we win. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, going back to your earlier point, you need a
1: balance. You don't want to turn your back completely on interruptions, right? Because that can create a precarious situation. You just need to find a balance. And I think we're tipped. Most brands almost exclusively on interruptions. Let's just bring it back a bit. There's going to be more than enough money to invest in interruptions, but first focus in on our more meaningful content.
0: Well, I have done my best, Jeff, not entirely successful, not to interrupt you. Your new book, Exponential Transform Your Brand by Empowering Instead of Interrupting, is a really interesting read. And I I'm, as you can guess, a little skeptical about some of these books and advertising. But you have won me over, particularly with your third message about leveraging uh, the entire purchase history. I think that's absolutely key. Congratulations, Jeff, on the book. I hope it continues to remain on the bestseller charts. And we'll love to have you back on maybe next year for Super Bowl to see if any of the big brands have learned any of your wisdom. Jeff Rosenblum, author of Exponential. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.